marriage. Uh, we're going to talk about an important aspect of marriage. I hope to have this as a two-part message today, but first let's begin in Genesis. We're going to look in Genesis 2, and the, <clears throat> the goal of, the, of this message today and next week is to help us stay together in our marriage, staying together in your marriage, and if you're not married right now, the goal is for you to stay together in the marriage you would one day have. And hopefully with that added, stay together happily, okay? Let, let's look in uh, Genesis 2. We'll look in one passage in Malachi, and then our primary passage will be Matthew 19, okay? First, Genesis 2. Everybody turn there, Genesis 2. Jesus appealed to this passage. He, <coughs> he, uh, his, the authority of what he taught that we'll see this morning was based on what is stated in this passage today. Genesis chapter 2, when the first man was made Adam he was God got him busy right away working um, naming animals and Adam noticed there was male and female animals but there was no female for him there was no help meet for him and we're going to notice we're going to pick up here in Genesis chapter 2 verse 21 to 25 we will read it I'm going to try to limit my comments and primarily preach from Matthew 19 here in a little bit Genesis 2, notice verse 21. It says, And the Lord God did something. He caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now go to the last book of the Old Testament. Looked at the first book of the Old Testament. Look at the last book, Malachi, in front of Matthew. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 2. And in the book of Malachi, God, through the prophet Malachi, is correcting the people of Israel. He corrects and rebukes the priests in the early part of the chapter. And now he speaks to the men of Judah. And he, God, has a beef, if you will, with the men of Judah. He has an issue with them. They were committing a bad thing. They were divorcing their wives. And he's going to rebuke them for that and it, correct them. Notice Malachi 2, let's begin reading from verses 11 to 16, 11 to 16, and the idea is God is telling the men, don't divorce your wives, stay with them. Malachi 2, 11, Judah hath <clears throat> dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 13. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, and so much that he regardeth not the offering any more, but receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and, and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. 
And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit? And wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed? Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none of you deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. Treacherously means as an, being an unfaithful to somebody. Now let's go to Matthew 19. <clears throat> and this is a passage we're going to um, spend more time on today. This is an interesting passage. Please pay attention to this passage. This, this passage deals with contemporary issues. Pay attention to this passage here. People wonder, can a man marry a man? Can a woman marry a woman? When can a person divorce? What is a eunuch? Is a eunuch a gay man? There's some weird questions that people have, and this passage answers. I'm not going to answer all of those. But pay attention to this passage. Jesus, If somebody takes Jesus' words and, and just believes them, it'll fix a lot of confusion. All right, Matthew 19, <clears throat> we're going to read verse, just verses 1 through 9. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, that means two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then give a commandment? Give a command to write a, uh, pardon me, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is doth commit adultery. We'll stop right there. So when I was, um, uh, let's see, when I was younger, I remember there was a family I knew. They traveled, they did a ministry, and it involved pulling a trailer. And uh, they had some of their belongings in the trailer. And I remember them one time, they came to this church, and I think it was maybe a month or so before they came to this church, they had an accident with their trailer. Um and what happened was they said they were driving down the freeway, and they're sitting there driving, and I don't know if it was to the left or to the right, they're sitting there driving, and they see their trailer come pulling up next to them. And they're like, what? And then the trailer gets all wacky and, and goes off the road and gets damaged. Uh, it was an evangelist and his family. And what happened was they, <laughs> they realized that one of the sons or one of the, somebody in the family did not, when they put that uh, hitch over the receiver ball on the, on the vehicle, the ball mount, they didn't latch it all the way. 
And uh, besides latching, there's also kind of a backup chain hook you're supposed to have on, on those trailers. Well, they didn't make, it wasn't latched. It wasn't um, kept together. And it came apart, and it became a disaster. It damaged the trailer and other things, and it could have been a lot worse. The Jesus today, the subject of divorce, there's other subjects up here, but the subject of divorce brought up before Jesus. And Jesus' basic answer is, hey, let's stay hitched. Don't let man put you asunder. Don't let, if you're married, stay hitched. Latch it in. And let not man put it asunder. That's the, that's the essence of Jesus, what he says today here. Let's just, what we're going to do is we're going to take some time to walk through this passage. And my goal is to give some things as we head through the passage, is to give to on how to help keep together and not be put asunder as a husband and wife. And if you're not married, again, in your mind, these are things you should grasp and believe on. When I get married, it's going to be for life. And I'm going to determine to make it that way uh, by God's grace. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this passage, and we're, then we're going to look at these things that will help us how to, stay as, how to stay together and not be put asunder. All right, so look at the passage here. Jesus, it says, verse 2, great multitudes followed him. He healed them there. He was in Galilee. He was in an area north of Jerusalem. Uh, uh, pardon me. It says he had finished these things. He departed from Galilee, came into Judea. So he went from Galilee south into Judea. It's an area where there was tended to be more Pharisees. So he's in the Pharisees' territory. And the Pharisees like to always ask him trick questions and just press his, try to push his buttons to, to get him to respond a certain way to make him look bad. And so they're in his ter- he's in their territory. So notice what it does. The Pharisees, the religious, um, uh, proud religious elite come to him in verse 3. It says, they came unto him, testing him, tempting him. See what he's like. What do you think about marriage and divorce? That's what they do. They tempted him, saying, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? They didn't just ask that. They didn't say, is it, okay? is it lawful to put away your wife? That is to have a divorce in and of itself. They didn't ask that question because they knew that Moses did permit, under certain circumstance, a divorce. But they say, is it lawful, come up to Jesus, is it okay to divorce your wife for any cause? Look what it says. Is it lawful for a man to, to put away his wife for, for every cause, for every reason? Can I divorce my wife for every reason I want? The reason they ask that is because Moses, and and we're not going to dive into it, but Moses in chapter 24 of of Deuteronomy says that if a man finds some uncleanness in his wife, let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it to her, and she can go be another man's wife. And it just gives the basic parameters of a divorce. He was trying to control a really a hard heart situation that was happening between people in his day. But the Pharisees are like, well, what, what, when can we get a divorce? What is a divorce? What's, what justifies a divorce? Okay. Now, maybe so, why would some of these men ask this? Maybe some of them were upset. Maybe some of them just left their house and heard Jesus was around. And as they're on their way, like, man, I, my wife, just she's always burning the eggs. She does not know how to cook the hummus or mix up the hummus. I mean, I want some pita bread, and she just messes it up. I want some uh, some nice lamb, and she doesn't know how to cook it and season it, you know. She, she's got to be violating the kosher mosaic diet somehow. Maybe I should get a divorce because of this. Oh, man, I wonder, what, I wonder if it's okay to. Maybe some of them, they were just irritated with how their wife cooked. Maybe some of the men there were, they just were annoyed at their wife. 
Again, we're talking, these are primarily men, apparently. Talking to them, so let's pick on the men. Um, maybe, they, maybe some of the men are like, man, I just can't agree with my wife on how to, how to um, spend the shekels, you know. She's always going to the first bank of Jerusalem and making withdrawals and not, not asking me. We're just, I, I, we just can't agree on money. I want to buy a new chariot wheels, and she's against it. And we, we're disagreeing on money. Maybe some of the guys there, they just said, you know, um, I just found another person. I found my old Jerusalem high school flame. We met up again on uh, Jerusalem Facebook. And, and uh, I, you know, I think I met for her. And I, I really just don't, besides my wife keeps turning the food. And maybe some men had that going on, some stirring in, their, in them about that. Why are they asking for any cause? Can we divorce our wife for any cause? Maybe some of them said, uh, well, you know, I, I married her and she was, we, we fell in love, but she's changed so much. So maybe I should get a divorce. Maybe that was a thought. I don't know. I'm, I, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm collecting modern day reasons for divorce and showing them in the context of that day, perhaps with some similar things. Perhaps there was a man that says, I like men. And he just hides it. So I want to divorce my wife because I like men. Perhaps there was one that maybe you can sympathize with. Maybe he's thinking of divorce because he finds out his wife has been unfaithful. Can I divorce her for that? Perhaps somebody's been abandoned. Perhaps I, I just, we're always fighting, so maybe we're just not meant to be. Whatever the case, they ask this question, verse 3. Is it lawful, is it legal for a man to put away his wife for every cause? They're testing him to see where he stands on marriage and divorce. What they're going to find out <clears throat> is where Jesus stands is that he's very protective. He's very protective. He says, I don't, I'm not, it's basically his answer is, here, let me give you the parameters of divorce. He says, let me give you the parameters of marriage. In other words, instead of saying, here's what a real divorce is, without he doesn't really answer that question right away. He says, here's what a real marriage is. Do you first see what a real marriage is, what God intended for marriage? He really doesn't directly answer the question. He does answer it later after their second question. Look what Jesus says. He answered them and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Let's pause right here. Please pay attention. When Jesus is asked about marriage and divorce, he doesn't focus on divorce. He says, do you remember? Do you remember? He's asking Pharisees who are supposed to know the right. Have you read the Bible? Have you read what Moses said in the first two chapters? Of course, they didn't have to. Didn't you read in Sabbath? Have you been paying attention in synagogue school? Haven't you read what Moses said? He which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Just as a little side note. By the way, listen to this. Listen to this. Jesus takes Genesis literally. Literal creation. Literal Adam and a literal Eve in literal six days of creation. He takes it so that sometimes nowadays, this is a little side note. 
Nowadays, you get liberal people, liberal so-called Christian scholars that say this is all symbolic in the Old Testament. There was just a symbolic Adam and symbolic, and they just try to symbolize and allegorize everything. And yet they also at the same time affirm that Jesus is a good person and Jesus is. But if they go to look at Jesus, how did Jesus interpret Genesis literally? So Jesus says, have you read about Adam and Eve? How that, and let's follow this along. Please follow in your Bible, Genesis, pardon me, Matthew 19, where he quotes Genesis. Look at verse 4. He made them at the beginning. Get this. This is really deep. I hope everybody's paying attention. He made them what? Binary. Is that how you say it? Binary. He made them male and female and said for this cause. Jesus is saying that, and then he says what God had joined together and put asunder. What did, okay, ready? This is a quiz. What did God join together? He joined a male and a female together. Awesome. That's how it works. What hath God joined together? Male and female, says Jesus. He only made two genders. There's only two sexual orientations, male and female. There might be males who start going femimans. And there might be ma- women who start to act like masculine women's, okay? And that happens, and it's a, it's a twist, and it's a perversion against the orientation God made. And we're called to, for men to act like men. And women are called to act like women. And there's a multiple amount of so-called gender distinctions that the world tries to assert in front of us, non-binary uh, or non-gender genderless, gender-free. There's all kinds of crazy, crazy titles for people's gender, even though they say, I know I was born a male, but I have this female inside of me that needs to express itself. Or a woman says, I know I was born a female, but I have this male inside of me that needs to express itself. I'll tell you what that is. It's confusion. It's, It's even hard to follow their definitions, and they change constantly, constantly change. I was trying to figure out how many genders do the world say there are. Somebody said four, somebody said 27, another person said 64, and I'm like, this is confusion. Jesus said, God made them male and female. And he said, this is the cause of marriage, having a male and a female. The cause of sexual union is only with a male-female situation. There's no sexual union if there's not a male and a female situation. If there's a male-male situation, that is not the one flesh God intended. If there's a female-female situation, that is not the one flesh God intended. Okay? Um, And anything, it's kind of like, uh, my wife has got these egg beaters. Or what do you call the little, is that called an egg beater? You put the little beaters in there that mixes dough and stuff, cake batter. That's a beater. I call it an egg beater. I realize they don't fit on everybody else's, you know. You know those things? It only fits in that one. The manufacturer made this brand, and here's your beater thing, and, and you put those in there. And another brand may not necessarily fit. Otherwise, you're going to break something. Um, even the, the little baby bottles, silly, exam- silly examples, even little baby bottle caps, I'm like, it's a baby bottle nipple cap. Just grab any bottle and stick it on there. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. No, that's a different brand. That's Dr. So-and-so's, and this is Gerber's, and they're just different. What? 
you got to make the one that you have with that brand go with the one the manufacturer intended, else it's a disaster. It's, it's leaking. And the beater, if you try to put one beater of one brand into another brand, it, it may be a disaster. And the same thing goes with God's design in sexual union and male-female. Any pursuing or entertaining anything else is a disaster against his design. A male needs to marry a female. A female needs to marry a male. Else it's a disaster. Romans 6 says that it's a disaster when men uh, leave the natural use of the woman and burn in their lust one toward another. Men working with men, that which is unseemly, and they get a reward back for that goofy, sick, perverted thing that they do, which is meat coming to them, it says. Fitting coming to them, Romans 26 says, and it's also before that says the women... Likewise, leaving the, the use of the man burned in their lust one toward another. In other words, if you try to join something that the manufacturer never designed to be joined together, it's disastrous. Now, I'm not making up Mike Henry theology or Baptist theology. This is, Bible. This is, this is Genesis 2 that Jesus is appealing to. From the beginning, he's making an original appeal to original design. Okay, so <clears throat> leave father, he says. Haven't you read that God made a male and female and that for that cause a man's going to, he's going to be so motivated, he's going to leave his father and mother. He's going to establish identity and cut the ties of, uh, of, of dependency on parents and be fastened and be joined and be cle cleaved to his wife. And what will become one flesh? Verse 5 at the end. They twain, those two, a male and a female, shall be one flesh. The idea of one flesh is that I think it's a, a, a broad description of a just in every way unity in a marriage. It's not just sexual unity, which that is uh, part of it, but in every way, what happens to, for me, I'm speaking of to me and my wife, where she hurts, I should hurt. Where her needs are become my needs. What my needs are become her needs. Where my hurts are become an interest of her. We, we share interests because it's like we're one flesh. It's like we're literally connected. So the Lord is describing the fusing of two lives. Look what it says. Didn't you read? But the man, that reason, a man will relive his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, verse 6 says, there are no more independently identities. There are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together. Let not man put us under. Don't unhitch this thing. You know, um, you're all sitting on a, one of these chairs. It's got this uh, metal frame, powder-coated silver with, most of them are silver, uh, with the green fabric on it. And uh, so that I'm looking at that steel. That was not, it, that was different, separate pieces of steel that was bent. Yeah, at least uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, about six, maybe another crossbar, six or seven pieces of steel that were bent and shaped and then welded together. And now it's one frame. It's not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pieces of metal. It's one frame. And you're sitting on there today comfortably, and you're thinking, 
What therefore this manufacturer hath joined together, let not anything put asunder unless I fall on my rear. You know? Right? It's one frame. Jesus says that that's kind of the punch. I think that's the, 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 the main thrust of, of, his, of his discussion in verse 6. is Because he says, since God made it this way, and he took two independent lives and went like this, and says, be one flesh. He's saying, let's not take that. He says, what God had joined together, he adds, uh, don't let somebody break those welds, break those ties. Let not man put asunder, he says. And then they, follow, they have a follow-up question here. Verse 7, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? It's a good question. Moses allowed it. They said, they, they're, they're kind of slipping in something there, sneaky. Verse 7. So, again, they, they asked Jesus, can we divorce our wife for every cause? Jesus really doesn't answer. He says, God made you together. Don't let anybody break that up. Why did Moses then command to give her a writing of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus, in part of his answer back, he says, Moses suffered you. That means permitted. It was an option. And Jesus said when it's an option. If one of, one of the persons is a fornicator. Moses suffered you because of the hardness of your hearts. He allowed this to happen. To put away your wives, but it was never designed that way from the beginning. Now let's focus, look at verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus said, and I say unto you, whoever, whosoever shall put away his wife. Now he's, he's speaking to the man right there. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So what is he saying? He's saying, <clears throat> um, if a man, and speaking to these men who probably could have been anxious to divorce for every light reason, says if anybody does that, if you put away your wife just because she burnt your eggs, or it's anything but her being a fornicator, which fornication means it's a broad sexual immorality term. It could mean that you're an adulterer. It could mean that you've engaged in sexual perversion between the same sex, just some kind of sexual perversion, sexual immorality. He says, unless your spouse has done that and you divorce just for some other thing, then you're, and you go marry another, then you're committing adultery. And if you put her away under any other reason and she gets married by another man, that man commits adultery by marrying her. Now, I want to just say, <clears throat> as a side, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but if somebody has a divorce with you. I mean, not to pick on people, but I think that Paul mentioned abandonment is where divorce could be considered. And I would say perhaps even abuse. But I don't want to dive into different scenarios like that. I want to focus on a marriage being defiled by sexual immorality. Jesus says if that happens, then okay, a divorce is a choice 
it would be justified if you chose it, which I would also say in a remarriage under condition as well. So I remember one time, this is when I first started coming to this church 30 years ago, I was asked to, some of us would pick up kids, teens or whatever in our own vehicles. We didn't have a church van. Actually, the pastor had a church van, but other people were helping to pick up people. And I rem- if I remember right, the kid's name was Sean. Remember that kid? He had blonde hair, Deb. Wasn't that his name, Sean? Real blonde hair. And I'd pick him up for church, and he lived over uh, around Baseline and Gilbert. <clears throat> this is before I was married. I'd pick him up, and I'd pick him up, bring him to church, and Deb and I would teach children's church when we were in college, and he was one of the kids in there. Um, and after a while, I remember um, finding out that his, I met his dad, and I briefly met his mom one time, and his dad actually became one of our customers at our shop. Or at least we did work for him at least one time. Well, I remember hearing about the man, his Sean's dad, getting a, he's like, I'm getting a divorce or whatever. And I thought, oh, great. You know, this guy's, maybe this guy's like went off with another woman. And, and um, I found out that it wasn't the case, is that his wife ran off with another woman. That's fornication. Um, his wife ran off with another woman that's fornicating and it would be it would be permitted it would be an option for him if he wanted to divorce God has called us to peace to try to reconcile I, I know people that there was adultery and they tried to work it out and they have been and others where they couldn't and it's hard and it's painful and because of the hardness of our hearts and our falling to our flesh, these things happen. But the main point here of Jesus is not to rub our nose into a past divorce or to do anything like that, but is to say this statement, what God joined together, let not man put asunder. The product he made, keep it intact. The hitch is latched, keep it so. I remember I had a 1966 El Camino, and I had these wheels called Krager Stars. Anybody know what Krager Stars look like? Cool. Yeah, those are cool looking. And I, I had those type of wheels. And they were chrome. They weren't a polished aluminum. And I, they were like my favorite wheel. But I, after a while, I'm like, oh, this is such a good wheel. I better put a wheel lock on it. So I got a wheel lock. And that means, you know, there's five lug nuts. You take one of the lug nuts off and you get another a lug nut it looks a little different. It has almost like a key in the middle. It's um, milled out in a certain way to where only a certain type of socket will fit on it. And I have the special socket, the key. Put it in my glove box. Take that out. Put it over your uh, your lug wrench or whatever. And you, you can take it off. And then you use a standard lug wrench to take off the other four lug nuts. But I wanted to make sure. Lock that thing on there. I don't want somebody stealing my Krager Stars. I had people. I My vehicle was... Um, vandalized four times. I don't even know who. Well, one of the guys I did know, and I wasn't about to get in a fight with him because he was part of a gang. Um, but I might have gotten shot. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> I'm like, I don't want him to at least steal my wheels. And I know there's a way they can still steal it. But what I joined on there, I don't want anybody putting asunder. Keep it on there. Keep it on there. Put a little extra. Put a little extra effort and inconvenience to keep it retained to the vehicle. Let's consider this here today.
how to keep together and not be put asunder. I want to give us some truths. I have several of them. I'll, I'll probably save some for next week. Plan to save some for next week. Let me just pause a second. Um, so, taking, I'll just make this statement. Taking time, so those of us that are married today, stay married, make the best of your marriage, whether you were divorced and remarried or not. Stay married, make the best of your marriage. And those that are not, most of them young people, determined I'm going to get married and I want to make it work by God's grace. And I want to make this statement that when we, um, as married people, determine to... Um, to make our marriage the best it could be, to be close, to be, as men, as loving of a husband, as uh, Christ-like of a husband as possible for ladies, as honoring of a wife to your husband as possible, and of a God-fearing woman as possible. When we determine to just make the best of our marriage and stay together, learn how to communicate well together, do things in life in as much as possible and are reasonable together, serve the Lord. When we determine to do things like that and just be everything we can to that next spouse, to that spouse, when we determine to do that, listen to me, you honor the manufacturer. You honor the maker when you do that. If you buy something that's nice and you, like a car, you know how they make, I mean, some of these I don't know these t these electric cars and stuff. You're like, wait, but what do they say to do with this thing again? You know, can it get wet or am I get electrocuted? You know, you know, you want to like, what do they say? And you and you determine to handle that thing as it's said, or or some appliance. Maytag say to do this thing. Okay, all right. When you do that, you're in a way you're honoring the maker. And so when we take time to invest and make our marriage the best it can be, it's not just a selfish thing. You're honoring the one who designed that institution. You're honoring and glorifying God by working on your marriage. And it's no waste of time. So how to keep together and not be put asunder. I'll just say some, some of these first three are kind of general, but I think we need to be awakened to them. How to be, how, how to be stay together and not be put asunder. Number one, beware of the world's philosophy. Beware of worldly philosophy. I'll give you a few references. Psalm 1 says, there is a man who is very blessed. It's the man who says, I don't care what the world thinks about values that I should have. It says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But this man's blessed because his delight is in the law of the Lord. This is where my brain's going to get influenced. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree. He's established, established rivers of water, brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. Why is it that there's a man who's so prosperous and is like an abundant tree? Because he says, I'm not going to be influenced by the philosophy of what the world says about sexual or or what the world says about gender, or what the world says about marriage and divorce. I'm going to be influenced by God's counsel. My mind is in the counsel of the Lord, and in His law I meditate day and night. I'm not going to walk. I, I, I'm finding out that Christians are starting to let what the world says about sexuality, marriage, divorce, sexual orientation, gay, transgender, we're starting to let them tell us what's true. They don't know what's true. 
They're dead in their sins. Their values are, are twisted, and, and we love them. We want to see them saved. That's why we need to shed the gospel light on them. But we don't want to walk in that counsel. We're blessed for saying no to, other, to the world's definition, definitions of marriage and sexuality. You're blessed when you say no to those things. Be blessed today. Be blessed today. And say no to those. And put your mind in the counsel of the Lord. So beware of the world's philosophy. The Bible says in Colossians 2.8, Paul says, beware. He's talking to Christians. Beware lest any man spoil you. That means plunder you through philosophy and vain deceit after the rudiments of the traditions of men and not after Christ. Beware of the messages out there. Quit believing them. Teenagers, young people, quit believing what these teen magazines or teen blogs are saying about how you should date or how you should marry or what your sexual orientation is. Don't believe them. If we follow the world's philosophy, you might come across a book like this, and this really is a book. Affair. This is the title of the book. Affair. How to manage every aspect of your extramarital affair with... Pardon me. How to manage every aspect of your extramarital relationship with passion, discretion, and dignity. That's a book that somebody has. The seventh command, thou shalt not commit adultery. There's no dignity in doing that. One guy made a comment about that book and says, if this guy energy and creativity on writing a book on how to manage your current uh, marriage, you wouldn't have to write a book on how to manage your affair. We have to be aware, beware of the world's philosophies. Number two, that, that'll help me stay asunder. See, <clears throat> not stay asunder, that'll prevent me from going asunder with my spouse. I'm realizing that people really aren't listening to the Bible. Number two, beware of your sinful flesh. Brother Derek actually uh, touched on this. Let's look in math. Pardon me, Galatians five. Galatians five. If I, as you go there, I want to make the statement. If you just say, "I'm going to." I feel, I'm going to do whatever I want, then you won't be married very long. The works of the flesh will get you in a lot of trouble. Look what it says in, in Galatians chapter 5. If I just do whatever work my flesh wants to do, what will happen? Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, are revealed. Here they are. Adultery. Fornication. Uncleanness. Lasciviousness. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hatred. Variance. Emulations. Wrath. Strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom 
of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's, look at verse 24, Galatians 5, 24. Are you Christ's? Are you Christ's today or are you not His? If you're Christ, this is what we're supposed to do. Crucify the flesh with the affections and love. You know, sometimes I have these affections and it's like, is this affection right that I have for this other person? Just because you have an affection doesn't mean it's right. Christian, well, I'm a Christian, so whatever my affections are must be right. No. The Bible is talking to Christians right now. Crucify your flesh with the affections of love. The idea of the flesh is the, the sin-bented. The flesh is the craving for that which is forbidden. I mean, just because I, you, you're going to crave something that's forbidden. So if you want to stay together in marriage, don't trust your flesh. Crucify the flesh. Put it to death and say, not Galatians 2.20. Remember, memorize that. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me so that it's not I anymore, but Christ that lives in me. That's what your wife needs, guys. It's not just you, the, the old sinful man that you are. She needs you occupied by Christ. Ladies, that's what your husband needs. Not just the old you in your flesh, the natural impulses of your flesh. Your husband needs you occupied by Christ. Today, I, won't, I don't want to let anything be put. I love my wife. Been married almost, it'll be 26 years at the end of next month. I want to stay married till we die. I hope that we either we die both together at the same time or the rapture happens. I don't want to deal with any other thing. Beware of your sinful flesh. Beware of the world's philosophy. That'll mess you up and you might find yourself splitting up. Being put asunder. Even if you don't end up getting a divorce, your minds will be different for a long time. Beware of your sinful flesh. One pastor said, marriage is the union of two incredibly selfish people. One man says, I know two shall be one, but which one? <laughs> self-centered pursuits, self-centered attitudes will press against that union. Do you realize, okay, this is, this is amazing to me. In Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul says, uh, wives, here's your deal. Husbands, here's your deal. And he spends a lot of time talking to the husbands. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife. Christ loves the church. And he goes on and on and on and elaborates that. Husbands, then he goes, um, fathers, here's how to deal with your kids. Kids, here's how to deal with your, 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 your parents. Uh, employees, here's how to deal with your employers. Employers, here's how to deal with your employees. He does this relationship Discussion from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in like verse 22, and he says, he goes through these relationships. Before he talks about the relationships, though, Ephesians 5.18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, before he tarts, starts giving little relationship techniques, and here's what you should do, and here's what this would work, and here's what, first of all, don't be filled with you. Be filled with God's Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Be filled with the Spirit. And then he starts addressing the relationship. I need to be, one of the best things I can give my wife is a Spirit-controlled husband. 
I might not know a lot. I may not have read any marriage books. How many of you guys, like, maybe you don't want to raise your hand. I'm sure there's guys in here that would be like, man, my wife keeps telling me to read this one book. She wants me to read this love language book. What does that mean? You know. <laughs> How many of you heard of the love language book? It actually isn't bad. I got the short one on the audio book. It's like, the, I mean, it's, uh, you can get through it maybe. Uh, audio, I mean, I'm working in the yard listening to this guy, okay? Just give me the skinny of this thing, okay? You know? And, uh, but, you know, some of us guys, and you might be in here, man, I have to read books. Yeah, it helps. It helps. Honestly, it does. I, you get some ideas there. Um, I read one on my way back from Tennessee in the airport, and I thought, oh, this is, that, that really helped me. But even if you never get to any of these relationship books, guys, you know what your wife needs? A spirit-controlled person, not a flesh-controlled person. That's what she needs. I know my wife needs. She doesn't need me to be yielding to my sinful flesh, or that will lead me to adultery, fornication, uncleanness, all kinds of messy stuff. Beware of the world, beware of the flesh, and beware of Satan, number three. Beware of the whispers of Satan. Beware of the whispers of Satan. What Satan is, look in um, John 8, 44. Derek is reminding us that Satan and the world are our true enemy. Not world people, not people like we should love, but the world system, the world's values is our enemy, and particularly Satan is our true enemy. He's been saying, teaching us that in our men's split session. But notice what Jesus said about Satan in, in uh, John 8, 44. John 8, 44. Jesus said about Satan, your enemy, my enemy. He, he says to the Jews, the religious Jews who were just like him, they said, you're of your father, the devil. Lusts of your father ye will do. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is perpetuating lies right now that the world is taking up and communicating to us. Satan whispers lies to you. You'll be happy with that other person. You should, you, why does your spouse do that? Maybe you should, maybe you're supposed to be attracted to men. Maybe you're really attracted to women. Maybe you're both. Maybe you can float back and forth. Now, we laugh, but that's stuff people genuinely believe with all their heart. And they're confused, and I feel sad for them. The whispers of Satan. He's a deceiver. He's, in Genesis 3, he, defi- he, de- he snuck around, beguiled him. Hey there, what's going on? God told you you couldn't touch that tree. Oh, what kind of God is that? He's holding back from you. He's keeping you from your, the expressions you want to make, the things you want to have. He's holding stuff back. He must not be that good. He's, he said you would die. You're not going to die. That's what he says. He is, he is working Eve. Beware of the whispers of Satan. Beware of the whispers of Satan. He's a liar. He's a divider. He wants to divide you from your spouse, divide you from God, divide you from God's word. He's a destroyer. The Bible tells us this. I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to be a sensational preacher to get everybody worked up. Paul or Peter says in 1 Peter 5, he says, um, be, be sober, be vigilant. Be sober means wake up. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking who's made to devour. He wants to devour us today. Here's what one man said. Why does Satan attack marriage? Why would Satan care to attack marriage? He does. Because he knows that marriage is the bedrock institution of society. That society depends less. Society depends less on the health of its political institutions, educational institutions, or financial institutions. By the way, isn't that true? Society doesn't depend so much on those things as much 
as it depends on the health of individual marriages in any society. For out of the bonds of marriage, adults and children learn indispensable traits that are beneficial for the rest of society. Traits like honesty, faithfulness, and forgiveness. That's why Satan attacks marriage. He knows the effect have when it becomes dismantled. We have to beware of the whispers of Satan. I want to say this one thing. I'll say it briefly, and then we'll try to wrap this up. And one thing that will help us stay together, because my point is we're talking about Jesus is being asked about divorce. He didn't spend a lot of time talking about divorce. He spends a lot of time talking about what is marriage, and let's embrace that. And I'm saying <clears throat> let's do these things and avoid these things to stay together. Beware of the world's philosophy, your flesh, the devil. And then I want to add this, and we'll continue next week, Lord willing, is just as much as you can, married people, do life together. I know that's one of my biggest challenges, doing things together with my wife. Do life together in as much as you can. Uh, I have a brother-in-law. He, he flies around a lot, his job, and the, the, his job lets him sometimes bring his wife, sometimes his kids, and he does it every time he gets a chance. And she's, she's open to pull away from her responsibilities and the, her kids are taken care of. Sometimes it'll just be, he tries to take her with him as much as possible. I know that that's rare. Um, but the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 5, as heirs together. Of need to be heirs together. We want to do life together instead of being independent all the time. Independent, you got your money, I got mine. You got your friends, I got mine. You got your hobbies, I got mine. Try to merge them as much as possible. I know that maybe your wife's never going to like golfing. I'm trying to get my wife to like quadding on motorcycles. We need to do that together. The Bible says, rejoice with thy wife, thy youth. Malachi says, she's thy companion. Don't be treacherous and uh, be unfaithful to her, he says in Malachi. Fun stuff. Do fun stuff together. So, let not man put us under. Um, I remember I had this, and I'm trying to wrap this up. I, my wife bought this convection oven, this little convection oven thing, because we want to be able to cook on the back patio, small things, instead of heating up the whole house with the, with the stove uh, in the oven. And so um, she gets it. She's like, Mike, we need to clean it. I look at it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And I'm the kind of guy, I'm like, I'm going to take everything apart and clean it up real good and, and everything. And so I started cleaning it. I'm like, man, it still looks kind of grimy around the face of it. I want to clean. I don't know what that other person before us did. What did they do? Some, I don't know. I don't trust that. So I want to take it apart and clean out around the edge and everything of this convection oven. And so the face of I took the face of it off after I cleaned as much. I started to take the face of it off. It's like the opening for the door and then the pad with the the, the little controls. I I took it, I unscrewed it all and took it off. And as I took it off, one of the wires like boop, unplugged. I'm like, oh okay, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> you know, and so. I cleaned it out real good and, and everything, and then I'm like, okay, it's time to put this thing back together. And I, and I have this wire that unplugged. It was from the control thing that plugged into something else. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, whoa, that's a short wire. I mean, the wire, it's like as soon as you pulled, so you have the face of the thing, and you pull the panel. As soon as you pull it away, it's like you pull it away like maybe an inch and a half, it's unplugged. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to go like that and plug it in and then, ah. Uh. 
it was it was designed to where they didn't want you taking it apart. They designed it to where if you took it apart, not going to put it together, buddy. I think it's because on a practical side, they don't, I mean, somebody would be goofy and not wire it back right, and then they'd cause a fire, and then that company would get sued or whatever. But when I did it, I'm like, I, ah, that's hard. I can't reach in there. I'm like, I'm going to fix this thing. So I go down to Home Depot, which if I go to Home Depot once in a day, I go to Home Depot twice in a day. I don't know about you. Oh, I forgot something. I got to go back there again. Anyway, so I go to Home Depot, and I'm like, I'm going to get this long neck. These, do you guys have these, Derek, long neck pliers, long neck needle nose? I mean, I'm like getting these things. It's, I don't know what it was, 20 bucks or something. And I get this long, it's like that long, and they, they're kind of I'm going to do surgery on this thing, you know. <laughs> so I get it, and, I, and I, ha I just found a way to grab it, and, uh, and I get the panel close to the edge, and I plug it, <coughs> plug it in there. Oh, I got it. Okay, pull it out. And I was barely able to get that thing back together, put the screws back on. It's worked fine. There's been no fires. We've cooked things. So, but a couple thoughts about that. It's like... It was like, to me, it was symbolic of God designed us not to, this thing did not come apart. But if it does, it's hard to put it back together. But you might could do it with a lot of work. So I don't think anybody in here is like that, but somebody might be listening on Facebook that's separated from their spouse or divorced from their spouse, from their spouse. And abuse or abandonment and adultery is not in the picture. If that's the case, you should work on connecting again and putting it back together. I know a couple who got divorced. I led this guy to the Lord, and they got back together. Now, I'm not taking credit for that, but they divorced, and I got to meet him one time, and I led him to the Lord, and he got right back. He, eventually, they, he and his wife got back together. They're married, and as far as I know, they're still married today. It takes a lot of work, but it can be done. I want to end on this note. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5, Jesus says, let your conversation be without covetousness. That means be desiring everything else. For, and be content with such things as you have. For he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Today, the most important thing is for a person to know, each one of us, make sure that you know and be confident and be assured if and that you are, does, that you are joined to Christ by faith. Are you Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Jesus Christ? is your savior guess what he says i will never leave thee nor forsake thee aren't you so glad for that you can't divorce jesus if you've accepted him you're not holding on to him he's holding on to you and i give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand he takes you and will never leave you so if you've never attached yourself to christ through a faith relationship you need to today and once you do he hangs on to you. Let's thank the Lord for our time. Let's bow for a moment. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that your people and friends and guests